This works when it's seamless, right? The advantage that we expect to get from social commerce is that it should be easier and more seamless, a mechanism to buy something for that consumer. It should be very transparent. And I'm not sure the full transparency is there end to end as it is if I just go to a retailer's e-commerce site. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Okay, everyone, we have a doozy of an episode today because Ricardo Belmar, Director of Partner Marketing for Retail and CPG at Microsoft, is on the show today. Now, I've known Ricardo for quite some time, about a decade now, I'm going to be honest, and it is always such a pleasure to chat with him, talk shop, and geek out, so to speak, about some of the latest and greatest retail trends. And if you follow Ricardo at all, you know he has no shortage of opinions and ideas when it comes to commerce. For the sake of keeping our conversation focused today, though, we are digging into social commerce and specifically live shopping. And anyone who follows the trend knows why. Live shopping events generated about $5.6 billion in the U.S. in 2020. And our friends at CoreSight Research predict that by the end of 2023, this number is going to reach 25 billion. That's right, billion with a B. And I can't say enough how much potential I think live shopping has. I think there is so much value in connecting in real time in an authentic and meaningful way. And as you'll find out from Ricardo, there is a big opportunity to tap into your base of employees as well. We get into some of the high level trends, some of the challenges that are taking place right now, but My man Ricardo, he gets in deep. He provides some tactical best practices, tips, things to do. So if you're thinking about live shopping or have a strategy and want to improve it, this episode is perfect for you. Ricardo Belmar, it is great to finally have you on the show. Great to hear from you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Alicia. It's really great to be here. I know we've been talking about this for a while. It's wonderful (laughs) to to be here finally. I know. It's a busy time for everyone. A lot of stuff going on, a lot of change. And we actually go way back. Oh my gosh, what, 10 years? Yeah, something like that at least, I think. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, for the folks listening right now, I'm sure so many people have seen your name, heard your name, seen your posts, especially on LinkedIn, seen your headshot on Clubhouse even. But for the folks who don't know the story, the background behind the man, let's go back a little bit. How did you get your start in retail? And I'm curious, why have you stayed? Like what what kind of drives you to stay in day in and day out? Yeah. So let me let me kind of go back in the step into the way back machine here. I guess if I, I kind of go back to when we first met, right? I'm I was working with a managed service provider that primarily worked with retailers to handle a lot of their data communications to stores. That was sort of their background. And as it turned out, that business, about 40% of their customer base was actually in retail. Back in that day, we used to say that if you had filled up your car with gas anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, there was an 80% probability you were on our data network when you did that and paid by a credit card. 
So there was lots of reach in terms of retail. I also spent some time with them working with retailers in Europe. I, I spent time working with brands like Volkswagen, Best Buy, Costco, TJX, Tractor Supply, Total Wine, and more. And then eventually I got more involved with retail accounts then because the business branched out a bit and developed managed services around things like digital signage, Wi-Fi, voice services for stores and data security. And it was all tended to be very infrastructure related. So I think if, if you remember, probably one of the first times you and I spoke was to kind of map out a content strategy around how we could tell a story about why this sort of infrastructure matters for a retailer. And the customer impact, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And what, you know, what did that mean to the customer experience overall? So I think we had a good fun projects with that and coming up with that story. And it, it turns out I kind of stuck with that for a while, actually. When I left that organization and moved on to others, I was still pretty much focused on things around that sort of store infrastructure. I used to always refer to it as the hidden technology that might not be customer-facing, but it was the technology that made the customer technology work and work consistently and work well to deliver that really good customer experience. And so I spent a lot of time writing about that online on a number of different websites. I did a lot of speaking engagements and presentations about that, got more into streaming video platforms as well. And as the technology evolved, I just kind of went along with it and started getting deeper and deeper into the industry. So it was kind of a natural progression that eventually led into the role I have now at Microsoft. And I've just enjoyed it so much. That's, I think that's why I've stayed. Yeah. Apart maybe from a good passion for shopping in general, which a lot of people, <laughs> I think, laugh at me for. But <laughs> I always like to tell retailers I'm, I'm your best consumer subject. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I use the excuse that it's just like market research. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to do some research. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I say that all the time. <laughs> so um, let's dig into your work at Microsoft, because obviously you're staying true to your roots in thought leadership, kind of breaking down the complex technology and infrastructure side of things, but how it impacts the consumer and ultimately how that impacts the business. But um, you kind of have this community angle to your role now that I find really fascinating and very important because, again, going back to your passion for thought leadership, it's all about building that community and that that collaboration and that innovation around retail. So can you break down what that day in the life kind of looks like for you now? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a really interesting role. It's fairly recent throughout the organization here at Microsoft. So my job really is to connect with other technology providers in the Microsoft partner network that are focused on delivering their solutions that they build on, on Microsoft technologies to retailers and consumer goods brands. So the way we kind of explain my role to the partners is that I tell them to kind of think of what I do as being your chief growth officer. So it's my job to help you find the right resources at Microsoft that helps us fuel growth in both our businesses. And that usually means, you know, we're, we're going to market together, we're jointly messaging to customers, we're meeting customers together. I'm trying to connect a lot of our partners with our field sales teams for the right accounts and trying to solve the right customer problems. So it's a lot of uh, good community building, if you will. I think that's what you and I have talked about before, right? That's so unique here. I, I really trying to build a community around all of these Microsoft partners so that we're showing up in the market and going in front of retailers together as a Microsoft plus partners. Yeah, that's great. So in addition to this work, you have Retail Razor, which again, is probably a brand that a lot of people know, have connected with, and that's probably how they've become familiar with your perspectives. So you have this very interesting 
double life, so to speak. You're you're looking at the retail world through the lens of Microsoft, its partners being, I love that comparison of that, you're like their chief growth officer. You're helping them kind of grow and adapt to this era of retail, but you're also helping everyday retailers, thought leaders, other experts kind of stay in tune with the trends and issues that are a top priority, right? If not, they're rising to the top, they're becoming more and more central to new customer experience demands and preferences. So with that, I mean, what trends are really rising to the top for you right now? What are you hearing from the partners? What are you hearing just from your general analysis of the industry? Is there any crossover there? Yeah, there is. So what makes this interesting is, as you pointed out, the work I've done through this Retail Razor brand, you know, it it takes the form of a clubhouse room. It takes the form of a podcast. And it's also been sort of a focus point for a lot of the thought leadership pieces that I put out there in the market. And really the purpose there is to just draw attention to a lot of trends around the technology that are rising to the surface here in retail. One of the things that I've found in the past few years and, and all the partners I work with say the same thing is retailers traditionally in the past did not adopt new technologies all that quickly. And I think we've all talked about this before, but now in, in the day we're living in, if there's anything that's kind of been a takeaway throughout the pandemic is it's kind of caused most retailers to realize I do need to move faster, right? It really is all about agility and getting the right technology in place to help me build a better customer experience, or even when they look inward and saying, how am I leveraging the right technologies to build better infrastructure, a more efficient and adaptable supply chain that, that works more intelligently, you know, where it used to all be about how do I eke out every last bit of cost in those operational factors like fulfillment, like deepen my supply chain. Now it's all about how can I quickly react and respond to changing conditions. So I do find there are some pretty big technologies that I think are going to have an impact in the coming year. And actually, I think we've talked in the past, right? I just recently in my podcast, The Retail Razor Show, did a a top 10 predictions episode for the year on what uh, my co-host, Tasey Golden, and I thought are really going to be the hot off the press kind of things that are our big bets for the year. So if I were to kind of pick a couple of those, I'd probably start with the area of live streaming and social commerce. I think those two are, are often mentioned in the same sentence, even if they are two distinct things. But one of the things I find really intriguing about this that I think is going to have a big impact is how different retailers are going to look at this in different ways, whether they're a small retailer versus a large retailer, they're going to leverage these two tools a bit differently. And there's some side implications of that to both the influencer community out there on the consumer side of things. But I think more importantly, and this is one area in these two trends that I don't think it's talked about enough, and it's an impact on store associates. So one of the things that I've raised there is that retailers actually have this built-in influencer that they may not realize they have. And it's that frontline staff they have at the stores who are always every day engaging with customers that come in to shop for something. It may be customers that know what they want. It may be customers that don't. But rather than everyone thinking about, you know, what's the best Instagram influencer I can hire to put on my live stream that I want to open up as a new sales channel and use them to build a community of of my customers to really want to buy more from me, why not use the people that you already have doing that job every day? And I think we're going to find retailers doing exactly that, starting with smaller retailers, I, I believe, who, you know, they're not going to have the resources to hire or pay for a really well-known influencer that might have a massive Instagram following, but they can absolutely stand up 
their own live streams. And, and I've seen plenty of smaller retailers throughout the pandemic start to do this and play around with it. I think this is the year it goes big, where we'll see store associates becoming those product influencers that consumers are going to start to rally around and retailers will use them to build interest and use these live streams, not so much viewing them as its own sales channel, but as a way to augment the overall shopping journey for those customers so that maybe they see something first in the live stream. And because it's that store employee, they may know from if they happens to be from a local store, but just the fact that they know it's a store employee, I think makes it a little more authentic and a little bit more realistic for that customer, knowing that it's someone they would otherwise have engaged with had they had questions about those products. And that's going to make them more inclined to want to shop with the brand. So I I think that's a trend that we're going to see build up for the larger retailers who are also going to do this. I think they'll focus on having better production values in these live streams. They may want to give a, a bigger and grander kind of sense as to what they're doing with the live stream. But I also believe that ultimately they're going to end up in that same place and leverage these frontline staff folks they have who already have a lot of expertise in the products. And a side effect to that, I think, is that it's going to help them be more competitive. You know, it's not just about what the hourly salary is that's going to entice new people to come in and work for those retailers. If they know going in that there's an opportunity to be one of these live streamers, I think that's actually an enticement that people are going to gravitate to, and it's going to encourage them to want to be part of this retail journey. So that's one of my big ones. And then I know what you feel about those, but that's kind of how I'm seeing that one. Yeah, I think you bring up an interesting point around how live streaming as a component of the job role or the job description could be a draw, especially for younger employees. I mean, the reality is everyone's kind of looking at the next step or how they can progress at a um, business. I mean, typically when we would think about retail in the past, it was like, oh, well, I was an associate when I was in high school or like during the summers when I went away to college. Like it was largely just like filler time. But I think adding that as a component, as an opportunity to be a face, so to speak, of the brand adds a lot of value and a lot of the validation, I guess you could say, that some people are looking for, especially if you think about the department stores, higher end brands. I know like my nearby mall, there's a Neiman Marcus. There are stylists there, experts with certain brands. They're not associates, right? Like they're stylists. They are personal shoppers. They're using social media as a way to connect with their clientele and to acquire new clients and live streaming as a way to do that. So in a way, they're building their personal brands. They're becoming content creators. They're showing how these products can really be used, applied, styled, and how they look in a deeper context rather than just like looking at the little tiles on e-commerce sites. And I don't care, no no matter how much you invest in e-commerce, there is nothing like seeing it fully in context on a person's body. Like there isn't. Yeah. And I'm just going to add that when I think this through, one of the elements I think that's always maybe been missing from those same individuals who viewed that retail job as something temporary, you know, what's keeping them from thinking of it as a career path. I think there's value in this, you know, take your example of those stylists right there, building an audience. It's their own personal brand, it actually makes them desirable to other retail brands. So in a sense, right, retailers might now have want to compete for those individuals. Maybe there's an opportunity for those individuals to be more independent, work cross-brand. But even if there's, let's say, Neiman Marcus decides to really go big with this, they could introduce a means in which they're helping to run more of these live streams. They're helping the, those stylists 
with the technology. They're helping them build that audience at the same time that the stylist is building that audience with customers. Those customers know that where did they get this engagement from? They're seeing it come from the Neiman's brand. So there's another association that happens there that helps the retailer in addition to the individual. But now that stylist, I think, sees a growth path here by doing this because they could take that audience potentially to another brand. And that's what makes them desirable and competitive. Yeah, absolutely. And they can use their clout and reuse that content and create net new content, right? Like if we're thinking about live stream, right? Like that's one particular format that can easily go into TikTok, right? If you're starting on Instagram live, for example, it can go into TikTok. It can then go into static photo shoots through Instagram. Like there are so many different ways that these content components can be used and repurposed. And then that ultimately becomes value for the brands that they represent, right? Like user-generated content is a really powerful vehicle to drive that social commerce, especially now that there are more robust capabilities in terms of connecting that more authentic contextual imagery, right? Like if you're showing like an actual outfit or a layout of a potential outfit, like you can tag those and create that connection to the e-commerce site and bridge that gap, make it a bit more seamless. Absolutely. And that's where I think all of these social commerce technologies, the the biggest play I think they're going to have is kind of helping to tie what were in fact separate digital channels, right? Tying them together into that overall shopper journey and allowing that shopper to take advantage of this, even if they decide to go into a physical store, right? It, It still helped them get there. In addition to having had a more natural ability to say, yep, this is what I want. I'm going to buy it right here on this social post where I'm seeing it and complete that transaction. I think there've been a few elements maybe that have been missing in that social commerce area up until now, and they're all finally starting to come through. That's gonna help retailers really leverage this. It's also, I think, has an equally important right for brands directly because that social commerce gives them an opportunity to enhance their own direct-to-consumer initiatives. Yeah, 100%. I'm glad you brought up the gaps, right? Or the areas of slowdown, because I feel like, 2021 was a big year for social commerce, but I think it's important to always call out like where can there be improvements? Where are there moments of friction possibly that maybe need to be addressed? I mean, what would you say are the biggest, I don't want to necessarily say inhibitors, but like I guess the slowdowns, like because social commerce is growing very fast. It's not quite where it is, like, especially live streaming is in, say, like, China, which I know everyone kind of uses that as the benchmark. But, I mean, what are some of the big areas of focus that you think we really need to figure out in order for it to reach its full potential? Yeah, so if I can kind of break it down on the social commerce side, I think there are a few gotchas that it just hasn't had enough time to evolve yet as in other channels. So here's an example. One thing that I believe every retailer has figured out, at least the ones doing well coming out of the this pandemic is that they've learned to over-communicate the whole purchasing process with their customer. And what I mean by that is we're past the days where once I click buy, right, and I complete that transaction as a consumer, I expect to not only just get some kind of, you know, there's a visible confirmation on whatever screen I'm looking at. I probably expect to get an email confirmation that my purchase went through. And then I expect to be regularly communicated as to where are my items, right? When are they coming to me? How are they coming to the, when do I expect them to arrive? And I'm not sure that on the social commerce side, depending on who you're actually buying from behind that social interface, it's not clear that there's the consistency there that I think consumers are expecting. So I've heard plenty of stories of 
folks who have done these transactions and they're maybe not 100% sure exactly where the merchant is behind it. And so when they complete the purchase, they get the confirmation, but then they're not sure what to expect. Well, when am I going to get the next communication about where my items are? You know, are they en route to my doorstep or do I, am I expecting them in two days tomorrow? I think there's still a few mechanisms that haven't quite flowed through here in that communication path. Some of it may be related to payment because there's a lot of variability, right? in what payment systems and options are offered. I think every social media platform is trying to take on that part, right? And they're trying to offer their own kind of payment mechanism to make this simpler for the consumer. I think maybe there's a few things there to work out between the, is it makes sense for the retailer to adopt that payment system or leverage a different one. So I think that still needs to kind of work itself out there. And at the end, you know, it really comes down to this works when it's seamless, right? The advantage that we expect to get from social commerce that it should be easier and more seamless, a mechanism to buy something for that consumer. It should be very transparent. And I'm not sure the full transparency is there end to end as it is if I just go to a retailer's e-commerce site. And obviously that varies by retailer too, but I think that's where some of the growing pains may be in, in getting this to come through. And then where we see the things working well are how much information can I get about the particular item, right? It's that moment of discovery, I think is the big plus for social commerce. But I think some of the follow through steps at closing the transaction and some of the post-purchase activity, that's where I think it still needs to catch up to other channels. Interested in learning directly from innovative omni-channel brands, disruptive DTC players, boundary-breaking tech leaders, and more? You can at the 2022 Retail Innovation Conference and Expo, taking place in Chicago from May 10 to 12. Whether you're looking to strengthen your omni-channel strategy, accelerate your e-commerce experiences, or get inspired by new design trends, we have something for all members of the modern retail business. Join executives from Coach, Foot Locker, Brooklinen, Elf Beauty, and more for one of the industry's most anticipated events in retail innovation. Podcast listeners get 50% off on all passes using the promo code RICE50P07. Take advantage of these incredible savings by going to retailinnovationconference.com and using the promo code RICE50P07. I think that post-purchase piece is definitely something I didn't really think through all the way, especially now that returns, post-purchase communication, communicating status of delivery, especially with everything going on and, and the delays that some brands and retailers are seeing based on demand fluctuations, right? Like it's it's a reality. So I feel like these different payment scenarios, these different commerce channels need to be able to flex and adapt based on some of the challenges that these organizations are seeing. So I think that's a great point. The other gripe I currently have, and it, it may not tie directly to social commerce because we're looking at it through the lens of inspiration, education, and payment directly in the platform but I feel like social advertising is still very much a big component of social strategy and, of course, digital strategy. But I have had so many cases where I receive a promoted Instagram story, right, or even a carousel ad. I see something I like. I'm very excited. This is definitely relevant to my interests. I click it and it's out of stock. And yeah. I don't know where, right. like, whose fault right. that is, <laughs> but can someone exactly. please yeah, you, figure you it out? You lack that transparency, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, what needs to happen? Is that, like, a back-end, like, system issue? Is that, like, a plat like a social platform issue? Is it, like, it's not quite as integrated, like you were saying? Like, because I feel like that is such a big opportunity and the amount of funds that are going into 
social acquisition, social engagement, and using that as a call to action to the e-commerce site, like, I feel like that's a very low-hanging fruit opportunity and, and uh, like, essentially, you're leaving money on the table, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely some integration points there that are, are at the moment not complete. And some of this may be, you know, when you look at where is it all coming from, we've got all the big social media platforms who have become experts in generating engagement and they're layering on commerce. So it's probably not surprising that there are some aspects, especially the behind the scenes aspects that if you aren't coming at it from the commerce side to begin with, you're not as familiar with what all of those backend functions are. And some of those may be missing still across the social media platforms. Now, of course, we're talking about really big organizations. So I have to believe, you know, they have the resources and the, the willingness to build this out. So I think it's coming. It's just a matter of time and how quickly we see it. It does, I think, speak a little bit towards the fact that if you're a retailer or a brand and you're looking at social commerce, what, what are you really doing? You're really, in a sense, renting access, right, to those consumers through that platform. You're not really in control over it. It's not like when you're trying to use those platforms to drive traffic to your own e-commerce site where you have control. You're now relying for the entire commerce aspect to be in the hands of another entity and that they're completing it for you. So I think that's partly why we're seeing some gaps. If you think about it from the platform's point of view, you go to 10 different retailers that want to do this, there's probably five different mechanisms they each follow to complete a transaction. And now you as the platform have to accommodate all five of those to make this work. So it's a little bit more complex. And I think that's why we're seeing there's a bit of a delay and a gap here. And then I think it's also, you know, one of those things where you have to figure out how to get the transaction to complete, how to make the payment work first. And then you start to look at post-purchase where, where I would claim right now, that's probably the biggest weak spot is in the post-purchase phase. Yeah, I for sure would agree. And, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see how these different platforms either build out their partnerships, their own capabilities, right, to make this process a little bit more seamless and how they can think beyond, again, just getting that transaction and more around like that more holistic customer experience, because I feel like we haven't had as many conversations around like using social as a driver for true community building and renewed interest, right? Like getting that recurring purchase possibility and that loyalty creation. It's more like through the lens of acquisition, which is funny because I know in the early days of social media, it was like, oh, community. And I feel like we kind of lost sight of that. So I hope maybe if they expand their boundaries a little bit, we'll be able to focus on that. Like I know like Pinterest, for example, is trying to do a lot with its creator network. TikTok has done some work as well. I think Instagram is starting to extend some of the commerce capabilities to their creators as well. So maybe it's starting to happen, but I, I feel like more than anything, it's like they're all just trying to play catch up with each other. So, yeah, I mean, I think that these community aspects, there's an interesting cycle that's kind of playing out because like you said, in the early days, right, we thought of social as that community building and it was community building because there was a lot of authenticity because you weren't building community around celebrity, for example, right? It was just regular people like you, people you knew that you had common interests. And then retailers and brands kind of got in there and said, well, we'd like to build some common interests around the people that like to shop with us, which I think makes all the sense in the world. And again, in some ways took the place of all the spend that was going towards celebrity endorsements and that sort of activity, which I think we see a little less of now, except for the biggest celebrities, especially in, in athletes, right? That tends to always stick around. But I think the cycle is kind of 
plane itself out because what happened, right? We ended up having these communities build up this world of influencers, which all started out as just quote, regular people, right? They weren't celebrities in their own right yet. Their influence has grown and they have so many people following them that now they themselves as influencers are becoming the celebrities. And so what are retailers and brands saying? They say, oh, well, I got to work with these people because they can influence buying power. But then we're going to end up right back where they started, right? Where now I'm spending all this money as the brand on these biggest influencers to keep that community. But eventually, I think we'll start to lose some of the authenticness because it's no longer that close-knit community. It's it's lost some of its local power. It's now back to big celebrityism, if you will, around that. And how is a retail and brand going to get around that? This comes back to what I said earlier. I think that's where you leverage those frontline store associates you have, because those are the people that are in a sense, local, right, to the community. They're the ones that are having that personal level engagement already in the store. And now you're just going to extend that into these digital channels in a way you haven't before. So it's almost like resetting the cycle. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea of a social reset because like these influencers who started it out as just creators trying to do their thing and express themselves and showcase the products that they really truly like, have become, like you said, famous in and of themselves, have become millionaires, have booking agents now. So it's like, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then on the consumer side, it's like you start to second guess all of these things that they're promoting. So it's like we have to kind of do an authenticity check to make sure that on the brand side, like you're staying true to that promise and like that you're truly partnering with the influencers that make the most sense. And when I say influencers, it could be macro, nano, micro. It seems like the smaller scale is starting to have some more credibility, I think, in this context. Like, do the work, you know, take a step back and say, like, is the quantity enough value for our business to either minimize or think less about the quality of the engagement? Because, like, even if you go to, like, Kim Kardashian's feed, a lot of it's spam or like it's just like people leaving emojis and like there's no true engagement there. Absolutely. And that's why I think also here is where we're going to see a difference between how smaller retailers versus larger retailers dig into this. The small, especially smaller and maybe indie retailers, they're leveraging this, I believe, really to get people to get to know them better. So they have a reason to buy from them. You know, how do you compare this into before we, we looked at social commerce, they were probably relying on a lot of word of mouth, right? People who have shopped with them, tell their friends, tell people they know, and then they show up and they buy from them either online or in their store. The social commerce piece just helps amplify that for them. And for them, I think it's, again, the easiest way is to leverage the store staff. And you can even rely on those same customers, right? So think about this in terms of loyalty programs. I don't think I see enough people talking about how you can connect the dots between the social commerce and your and your loyalty program. If you have sort of this, let's call it more localized approach where I'm using my own staff as the influencers, I can now create moments of engagements through the loyalty program, maybe in one of my stores, and I offer to a loyal customer, hey, you can be in the live stream with one of the store influencers, and you can be on the next big unboxing moment when we unveil some of our newest products that we're delivering, you know, making available in the store next week. And that becomes a new kind of engagement that you didn't have the ability to create before. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think, you know, we can't really talk about social commerce without discussing the scale of it, right? Like we alluded to all of the different platforms out there, all of the different capabilities, 
this all requires strategy, right? It requires thought. It requires creative. It requires relationship management. If we're looking at the influencer side, it requires measurement. And to your point that you've made a few times, it requires integration into other key systems. This is work, right? It's not so easy to just like flip the switch and stand up. So, I mean, what do you think as far as like prioritizing all of this? Because, you know, each platform kind of has its key differentiator, like what it does pretty well in comparison to the others. But again, they're all kind of playing catch up with each other. Like, do you have like an opinion or thought on which platform is kind of rising to the top right now? Do you have any thoughts around how retailers and brands can best prioritize and like get the lay of the land, so to speak? Because I feel like this could easily snowball and become a lot. And, you know, just looking at marketing specifically, budgets could be tight and you need to prove the value of everything. So do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, I think what will happen here is we're going to see a lot of experimentation. And I think that's a good thing because it's not clear to me that if I take just the social commerce piece, I'm going to set aside the live streaming component to this we talked about earlier for, for just a minute. Looking at the social commerce and the social media platforms that are out there, each has its own kind of benefit for the audience you're going after. And if we look at, you know, even just the news stories that come out about them, there's an ebb and flow as to which one's the more popular one of the day, right? And we know that that changes and there's a rise and a fall to it. So I think there's going to be a lot of experimentation. And by that, I'm thinking back last year, some of the experiments Walmart did with TikTok, right? To see how that went, which I, I think we wouldn't call those successful. And I would expect they'll do more of that. But I think for every retailer, that's going to be the key thing is to, find ways to try it out because I don't believe for most retailers, they'll be able to just predict automatically and say, yep, this is the platform I got to use. I'm not even going to think about the others because that's not how their customers think, right? We still have to keep that customer centric view to it. And I would claim most customers that retailers are going after in this social channel, they're probably active on multiple social platforms. So it's not, I think, reasonable to say I have to pick one to focus on. You're going to have to be present on multiple ones. The, the trick is to figure out how are you going to be present in each one. Maybe you do need to do what Walmart did and stage these live events on TikTok as a way to be present there. Maybe on Facebook, you just need to have a good product catalog connected in an Instagram shop. or you know, And it may vary based on what you know about your customer. So to your comment, you mentioned earlier about there's some complexity here. There, there's some behind the scenes kind of technology required. One of those I, I talked to a lot of retailers about is this idea of you need to have a real strong customer data platform to help you understand who your customers are and what matters to them. You can't really guess. This is now evolving to the point where if I just guess and I throw spaghetti on the wall, so to speak, right, I don't know what's going to stick. And that's not going to be the most efficient use of budget. You still want to experiment. You want to try a lot of these different platforms, see what works, but you want to do it from a position of understanding who my customers are. Now, when I look at the live streaming piece, I think that one actually is a very different picture because there is a whole slew of, of live streaming startups and technology providers out there delivering the tools to do that. So as a retailer brand, you could just use native capabilities in the social platforms to do that, or you could have a dedicated platform that you use that maybe you actually host it out of your own website. And I'm thinking big name examples, you know, what Nordstrom did with their live streams, right? You actually can launch those off their website. They're not necessarily tied in exclusively to a social media platform. So there are options there. There are, in fact, there are many options, I think, on the live streaming fronts. 
And that's where retailers are going to need to look at this in the same way they've looked at implementing other new technologies in the past. I need to think about what are the capabilities I need? What's the feature set provided in each of these solutions? And you're going to have to try some out before you make the choice. I think the big risk, if there's a risk here, is that you run the risk of taking too long to decide. I don't think now we're at a point where if you're not thinking about this already in early 2022, as we're talking about this, you need to be because you don't want to wait until the end of 2022 to figure out how am I going to launch live streaming for my brand? Yep. I think that's a really good point, looking at alternative solutions rather than the native capabilities, because there are some really powerful ones that allow a greater level of scale and flexibility and, you know, has that better integration into the e-commerce experience, which I'm sure, you know, certain brands are looking for. I think going back to your point around testing, I think that's really the name of the game right now, right? Because it's not only the features that make these distinct platforms so unique and valuable, it's what what content resonates on the different platforms, right? Because I know TikTok is a very creative channel. Instagram is trying to mirror some of that, but I feel like, you know, creators feel like they can have a bit more flexibility and, and push some more limits on TikTok. So if you try that and it ends up paying off, maybe spend a bit more time and resources on creating some really powerful, unique content for TikTok. And then maybe for Instagram and Pinterest, look for those opportunities to repurpose and scale content, right? Because I know some of the parameters may be a bit different, but seeing where there is a way to scale things and streamline things, like that could be a way to kind of be in as many places as you can and also see like where your audience is ultimately. I don't know. It's just a very interesting predicament. Like I'm, I'm largely looking at this on the creative side, which you know, is a very small piece of the pie. But when there are so many factors and capabilities, I could imagine that it can get a bit overwhelming for creative teams right now. Yeah, I think that's definitely true as well. And if you think about it from the retailer, the brand's perspective, you know, who are they putting on this project, right? Where are they drawing those people from? Which parts of the organization? What skill sets do they have? And how do they build out that team? Because I think in the end, right, we are talking about a team of people who are going to be owning this as a channel, but not treating it in the traditional sense of a channel, because I think that's going to continue to be the wrong way to look at these things. It's really not about, can I make social commerce work as a sales channel? That's not the problem you're solving for. The problem you're solving for is how do I leverage social commerce to better engage my customers, deliver a better shopping experience, and to convert them in whatever channel they want to buy from ultimately for that sale. Whether they actually make the purchase through social commerce or whether they do it somewhere else, you just want it to convert. And I think that's the approach and mentality that has to be ingrained in everyone to really leverage this to its best potential and not focus so much on what's the dollar value I'm getting out of purchases via social commerce. Agree 100%. Well, we're just about at a time record. I feel like this conversation completely got away with us. We have a whole list of topics that we did not get into, but hopefully we can have a follow-up conversation because we did really get pretty deep on the new trends and challenges around social commerce. So I guess to close things out, again, just given how quickly this space is evolving and accelerating, do you have any ideas or or hopes for how you see social commerce changing in 2022. Like I know for myself, I'm trying to think, is there a way, an opportunity for 
social content, social community building to come into the store, right? Like going back to your point around live streaming, if you have the associate being the face of or the driver of your live streaming strategy, do you create a content studio in stores? We're seeing like little drips of this for certain brands, but is this an opportunity that's a bit untapped? Like, could we push a bit more limits there, like bringing social commerce and social community to the store. Would love your take and thoughts on where you think this space is evolving, because I think it's so exciting. Yeah, I think there is a tremendous potential to bring these things into the store, partly because I really believe stores are coming through a bit of a renaissance in the sense that all of a sudden everyone wants to pay more attention to stores. And I chuckle a little bit at that because it's not that stores ever went away. <laughs> it's just that everybody got excited about talking about these alternate channels away from stores. But at the end of the day, even after everyone rushing to e-commerce during the uh, you know, initial parts of the pandemic, we're still talking about 80, 85% of all retail sales happening in stores. So it, this is stores aren't going away. They never were. But there is now a reason to think about how can I take all of these non-store channels and layer them onto the store to make that combination even more powerful? It's definitely a, a one plus one equals five kind of scenario. And when I think about how do you leverage social commerce and live streaming with that, part of it is that example I mentioned earlier, right? Trying to bring people into the store to see the live streaming happening because you're actually doing it from the store. Yes, I do think we'll, we'll see space being built out in sort of these mini studio-like environments. But I think more than that, we're going to see sort of a, a mobile capability. And, and what that means is I'm going to have that live streamer sales associate whose face is in front of the camera, but they're not going to be the person holding a camera on a selfie stick, right? Wandering around the store. There's going to be somebody else with a camera, with some extra lighting and maybe some other gear following them around as they move through the store, doing whatever the program is that they're going to do for that live stream, it's a multi-person effort. And there are gonna be customers in the store who see this and they're gonna be curious about it. And it's gonna A, get them to stay in the store a little longer. And I think every retailer will agree I and mean, get them to stay in the store longer with the purpose that likelihood of that turning into a sale, that probability goes up. So that's a good thing. And they're gonna be more interested in coming back because now you've left them with something really intriguing that says, hey, this was unexpected. What might happen the next time I come to the store that?" could also be unexpected and really interesting. So it does play a little bit into the whole concept of the stores as media and entertainment. I think that's an important one. I think that's where we're going to see this kind of grow into something that I don't think any of us has this well-defined yet, but I do think there's going to be a lot of experimentation there. A lot of it will build around community and loyalty, but it's yet another reason why stores are so important to retail in general. 100%. Well, Ricardo, really appreciate the time. It was great to catch up and dig a little bit deeper into this topic because I know we're both very passionate about it. I think this notion of like the store as media, the integration with social lends itself to several really fascinating conversations. But for now, as we close things up, do you want to share really quickly where folks can learn more about you, sign up for all your properties, and then we'll let you go? Yeah, absolutely. So everyone can always find me on LinkedIn and Twitter and just feel free to connect with me and follow me there. I'm on Twitter. I'm at Ricardo underscore Belmar. And for a lot of other explorations in these topics that I'm doing, you can listen to my podcast. It's the Retail Razor Show. Find it in your favorite podcast player. And you can also find it on Twitter at Retail Razor and also on LinkedIn as well. So plenty of content through that channel there too. 
Awesome. Thanks again, Ricardo. And thanks all of you for joining us for this conversation. Like Ricardo said, we are everywhere. So if you have any follow-up questions, want to dig into this topic a bit more, you can drop us a line on Twitter at rtouchpoints or on LinkedIn at Retail Touchpoints. And if you like this conversation, we'd love to hear from you. Share your feedback on your preferred podcast player. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and frankly, everywhere else. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.